Let's pray. We'll move to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This morning we will look at verse 5 and first part of verse 6. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, the author and the finisher of creation. Father, you who hold existence, the palm of your hand. And yet, Lord, you give us the privilege to minister to your people and to those who are lost and have no idea who you are. Father, may we be found walking worthy. We've partaken of the table. Father, understand that our redemption is sealed. Now, Father, let us in bold confidence walk in the power that spoke existence into being to your praise, to your glory, to your exaltation, and to the wonder of wonders. He who is God, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 1 of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Basically, what we're looking at here is a picture of an adequate minister, an adequate servant of God. The word adequate that comes out of verse, it starts, first time you, you deal with it is, who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to have the knowledge of Christ in such a way that they can give it to all people as they go? And they do it in such a way, in such a power, that it rises up to God. Who's adequate? Where do you go to school to get that? That's the question Paul is dealing with in this text. Because, see, the accusers will say, Paul's not adequate. Paul, Paul can't do this. You know, um, he's not that eloquent. All right. He looks like he's been stoned and left for dead. How can Paul be adequate to do this? He has no credentials. He has no letters commending him. You know, the, uh, these letters acknowledge my ministry. And the Apostle Paul, through this text, is dealing with five things that show an adequate minister. Okay, if you were to look for a new pastor or if you were to move to try to find another church, I would really suggest that you think about these five things. Who is competent? There are too many in the pulpits today. There's too many in the body of Christ today who are self-serving. They're doing it for them. I see business cards now of people who are in secular work and they'll put a little fish on there. Okay, and, and some of them I have dealt with in the past, and I'd say, oh, the card is saved. 
They'll put a little fish on their bumpers and say, you know, I am saved. Had a guy cut me off in a bunch of semis going. I was driving back to Illinois. Had a little fish on there. Made me want to go hunting. <laughs> you know, shooting fish in a barrel. Something to that effect. I know that don't sound real loving, does it? You're shaming my God when you act that way. I was thinking about this text. And I want you to try to understand that right now I'm not self-serving. I'm not sharing you what I'm going to share with you because of what I do. Okay? But when I think about life and I think about when I, I, I look at what's going on in our world, I think about um, all, all of the amazing things that are happening uh, on our planet and then I think about all the professions in the world. I mean, whether it's a doctor, a scientist, a politician, a world leader. Uh, when I think of all of them, every single one of them, I can think of no profession on the planet Earth that has a greater demand for the best than the pastor. And I'm not saying that, you know, because I'm a pastor. I, I want you to, I want to make that adamantly clear. But when you think about it, whether it's medicine, whether it's science, whether it's education, I, I don't care what it is. Is there any higher standard than those who serve the word of God? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, why? Why is it so important? Well, I, I guess the, the simplest view of it is spiritual dimension. I believe emphatically with confidence that the spiritual dimension is more important than the physical dimension. In every aspect. See, I can watch people put on an act. And act spiritual. But when the spiritual dimension is intact. There is no acting. It doesn't change. I see Christians who are bitter. And I know that they haven't dealt with the spiritual dimension. Um, I, I see some Christians who I believe... They think they have the spiritual gift of worry. And I understand emphatically that they have not dealt with the spiritual dimension. Because when the spiritual dimension is dealt with, there is no worry. There is no needs. There is no desires. And there is this overwhelming contentment and joy and peace that nothing can touch. Can you think of anything on the planet Earth that can provide that? You don't have any suggestions? I, I was just trying to think of one. I, was, I drove across America and I couldn't think of one. And there's a lot of time to think because there's just not a lot to do out there. And like I said, in my truck, it's sort of like my motorcycle. Uh, I don't have a CD player. It's cassette. Do you know how hard it is to find cassette music? 
Dane had given me two cassette tapes when I went back to Washington, D.C., and I have just about wore them out because <laughs> that's it. You listen to them on the way out, you listen to them on the way out. You go back to Chicago, and you come back, and you're like, well, now they're a raw, raw, raw. <laughs> and it's, so you shut the radio off, and you enjoy creation of cornfields. The spiritual dimension is more important than the physical will ever be. Serving God is more demanding than serving anyone else. Many of you have jobs and you have demanding bosses. Really? Try serving the perfect boss. See, you're looking at the kingdom and the glory of God is more important than anything else on the planet Earth. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the word is absolutely and always true. And it is transforming. That's what Paul is dealing with here. He asked a question in 2.16. Who is adequate for these things? Then he answers it in 3.6. It is God who has made us adequate. When I think about the Apostle Paul on this, he amazes me over and over and over. One of my most favorite books in all of Holy Writ comes out of the letter to the Colossians. Chapter uh, 1, verse 23 says this, and And of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Minister. Verse 25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit. I know a lot of people who want to, quote unquote, minister, and they go out and they try to minister. They do not look at where it comes from. Where does it come from? You know, it's, it's like Wayne said that one time. Ministry is not achieved. Ministry is received okay and you know what every one of us in this room is guilty of trying to achieve ministry achieve ministry every one of us is guilty of it we say i can do this really you're going to deal with the spiritual dimension of a soul and now you're ready really well i want to kind of Really? Do you realize that your decisions in the spiritual realm only have eternal consequences? That's all. You've heard the statement before. Well, we make choices, but we don't get to choose the consequences. You know, we say, wow, that's deep. Let me tell you something. Start messing with it if it only has eternal consequences. And then tell me how deep you want to go. Paul lays this out, and I'll kind of review quickly some of this. Um, that basically, we've looked at verse 1 that the adequate minister has established godliness. There's a pattern in their life that is visible to people. I don't need a letter. Paul makes the statement here. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Okay, Meaning, do I have to start over to introduce to you who I am? And what I do, my life has been laid open to you. You were, I was with you for almost two years, day and night, house to house. 
Do I need to prove something else to you? Do we need to start this relationship over to see what my life does? See, there were some who would accuse the Apostle Paul of sharing the message of grace for sexual favors. And Paul's telling them, are you out of your minds? Really? You have seen me. You have been with me. You know, I had a a few years ago, I had a little incident, (laughs) a little incident. I had a little incident where some people were making some accusations about me. Okay, and of course, when people want to accuse you, what they want to do is go get a little army of allies. Okay, and and, and it started off silly. He said, well, did you see him hugging her? And what I've learned as a pastor is if you hug ugly people, nobody says nothing. They ain't accusing you of nothing. That's ugly. We know there can't be nothing going on there. Okay. But if you hug somebody who's cute. Oh, you see that? Okay. And I'm sitting there going. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Anyway. I had someone in the fellowship come to me and they said, well, I have heard this. And they kind of give me the spiel. And they were expecting me to go through this long dissertation to defend myself. The only defense I had is compare the fruit. Well, isn't there anything more you want to say? Nope. Compare the fruit. If my ministry is going to be jeopardized because I hug people, is it really a very good ministry anyway? Compare the fruit. That's just the way I look at it. That's the silliest thing I ever heard. And I don't say that to be offensive, but I'm just saying, and you know, the one person who came to me has seen me in this pulpit for 17 years. Hello? You know, I faked it for 16. I won an Academy Award. Do you realize how silly that is? But I get people to make accusations to me. And you know what? I think if I would put on about another 150 pounds, then I could probably hug everybody. Well, hey, look at that thing. Or whatever. You know, hug only ugly people. I'm going to court, set the church. I'll get into trouble, won't I? <laughs> Go back to hugging, dude. <laughs> this is the hug side. That's the non-hug side. You see what I'm trying to get at? That's the kind of stuff that when you look at it, Paul says, you want me to start over? Do I have to explain myself over? Then he moved on in verses 2 and 3. It says, do I need a letter? Are you telling me I need someone to affirm me? See, Paul had a letter once. Acts 9, he got a letter from the Jerusalem council. No, not the church. The Sanhedrin. And he was on his way with a letter of commendation going to Damascus to do what? Arrest Christians. Look, I have been sent by. But yet we try to do that. I get people who send me letters. You know, such and such has commended me to you. I don't even know such and such. So, no, I'm not interested. Paul says, do I need a letter? So if you look For an adequate minister, then you understand he or she has an 
establish godliness. It is visible. It is seen. It is known. Second thing is, these letters are transformed lives. Paul says, my letter is you. The lives that I have affected with the gospel of Jesus Christ are read by all men. And that's the aroma of Christ in the knowledge of Christ rising to the heavens. And it is seen in transformed lives. Not listen, I'm not talking about clever methodology. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about verse by verse explaining of Scripture in the power of the Spirit that the soul is made perfect. Try that. That's a blast, ain't it? You know why we don't get involved with that? It is time consuming. Discipleship isn't come walk an aisle. Say a prayer. Life is good. It's not what it is. And he says, the fact that you guys are even existing as a church in Corinth is a letter and it is carried in my heart, not on tablets of stone. Mine is written of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit towards God. Others is written in ink that fades and is folded up and put in a pocket or put in a bag someplace. That's the difference. Then verse 4 shows that the adequate minister has a confidence in his calling. A confidence in his calling. In the calling and the giftedness of the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. So now it goes back. It came from God to Christ, to Paul, from Paul, to through Christ, to God. It's, it's the wheel of life. <laughs> God, that sounds so hokey. Isn't it? God gives it to you so you can give it away. You give it away. And you should have confidence. And one of the things that I see in the body of Christ today is there is a lack of confidence in what we have been called to. That's why you see the philosophies and methodologies that are all over the churches today. I heard a pastor one time say, we are trying to plug into the church stuff that hasn't had a chance to fail in the secular world. And if you look at it, ain't that what we're doing? I heard a guy the other day, well, it's been a week or so ago, it was before I went up to Chicago. A guy made the comment that, you know, the giving was way down. You know, they'd come out of summer and he's expecting a rebound in the giving. And, you know, after Labor Day, usually the giving goes up and we should start making more money. But it looks like we're going to have to cut our advertising budget. Uh, what? <laughs> I remember people getting on Spiros Zodiades. He wanted to take out a full page ad in Playboy magazine with the gospel. And everybody got mad at him. And I'm sitting there going, well, it ain't like he's going to put pictures in it. You know, this is for all them people who read Playboy. But I thought it started this great fervor. I can't believe he's going to do that. Why not? Why not? He used to take full page ads in European newspapers with the gospel in it. 
And it was amazing the number of people who were coming to salvation and seeking out churches because they had read the newspaper and there they were, a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Interesting concept. But to hear a guy say, you know what, I'm going to have to cut my advertising dollars. Isn't that what General Motors did before they were bailed out? Hmm. Next thing you'll hear, churches will say, I'm too big to fail. Send money. Do I have confidence through Christ towards God, even though I am in this earthen vessel? Do I have confidence in what I believe? No, no, you really, I really want to press this one because I think that some in this room don't. Have you ever read those parts in the Bible that sort of are annoying? Or maybe you guys have got the new translation that doesn't have no annoying parts in it. Mine has these things that say, don't do this. And there's a plethora of don't do this. Okay. What is our first response? First response in an American church today is very simple. Why? Do you know why God doesn't want you to divorce? Do you know why God doesn't want you to marry an unbeliever? Do you know why God doesn't want you to steal? Do you know why God don't want you to have any other gods before him? Do you know why God doesn't want you to lie? All right, because I look at it and I say, I don't even care why. I'm just not going to do it. Why? Because it's obvious he's probably smarter than me. And he says, you know what? You want to live in peace in this life. I would highly suggest that you do this. You are to submit to the authorities that are over you. Now, none of us here ever speed. Right? Why did they put them silly signs up? And why do they change them by state? I think that's a trap. I can do 75. Now you can do 70. Now you better be doing 60. But they don't put the sign until halfway through the state. And you've already, oh, I already got a ticket. I didn't get a ticket. <laughs> See, I was cursed on this trip. Uh, I drove a vehicle with no cruise control. Okay. So my worst case scenario is I was going too slow in traffic. <laughs> Why? My foot fell asleep. Okay. But, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? You and I have things that God says, this is for your best. And you and I will say, well, why? It's that simple. Right? And you know, when you do that, you know what you're saying? I do not have confidence in this book. That's pretty good. You can stand before God and you says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. But I ain't got no confidence in you. I want to make sure I'm not in that line. Just an idea. 
Which brings me to the one that ties into this confidence. And this is this ties on the back side of this thing. It's like the two sides of the same coin. You know, do you have confidence in your calling and do you have a humble dependence on God? Okay. I, I want I don't want you to misunderstand something. Confidence in your calling. Confidence in God's gifting you for this calling. Okay. It will make you bold. It will make you courageous. But the key to it is I don't have confidence in me. You got that? Some of you, I don't, I don't get it. Second Timothy chapter three, verse five. Paul speaking of the church and what it will look like. And he talks about those who will be in the church. They are lovers of self. And Charles Spurgeon says that's the sewer pipe that the rest of this thing runs out of. Okay. And at the end of that dissertation on what you can watch for in the church is that they will have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. You know what we call that today? Behavior modification. That's all it is. See, God changes the heart. When God changes the heart, I don't have to worry about coveting. Why? It's not in my heart. It's not in my nature. And when I do step into it, then I want to pick up the old self. Who was buried with Christ through baptism unto death. And why do I want to pick up the dead carcass and carry it? But many of us do. We don't have when you step in to having a form of godliness and denying the power. Go back to the first phrase that says they are lovers of self. One of the things that I see in the body of Christ right now is loving of self. I want this because this will make me happy. And you know what? It might for about 22 minutes. But the 23rd minute, you'll say, hmm, now I know why he said it's sort of like a sewer pipe. See, Paul understood, if you look here at verse 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves. All right? What's he coming out of? Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate of ourselves. The confidence is Through Christ. Remember what he says? It is the knowledge of Christ that is the aroma to humanity. Life to the living and death to the dying. Let me show you a text and we'll deal with it in depth in about 10 years. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay. Verse 10. Therefore, I am well content. Now think about it. Stop right there. How many of you in this room right now can say, I am well content. I'm content. How many can say it? But how is he well content? It defies your logic, doesn't it? 
Are you telling me that I will be content when I'm weak? That's what Paul said. But I see that's one of those that I'm not going to take a lot of confidence in. You know, because God said, you know, the prophet, God helps those who helps themselves. That'd be the prophet Ben Franklin. Okay, that one. All right. Because God says, no, I will help those who are helpless. And you know what? Every one of us in our lives have been to a point where we felt helpless. And you know what? When you are helpless, guess what? I am content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Now, remember, this is chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians that deals with what I call a book of ministry. I watch people who want to get into the ministry because I have the ability to do this or 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 do this. And you know what? You're wasting time. Because if you're truly in the ministry, you will be doing the thing that you are the most incapable to do. You know, I just had this conversation with Dr. Provost this this week. They're asking me to head up the coalition of Colorado churches and uh, what we're doing in Russia. And I said, Dr. Provost, I have absolutely no administrative skills whatsoever. They're non-existent. You should see my desk. I clean it off because everything in there is outdated. I probably should have dealt with it six months ago. It's too late now. Into the can. If you do not believe me, ask Stephanie. You walk in Stephanie's office, her desk, you can see the top of it. It's all organized. She's got everything stacked up like that. You walk in my office, you can't even see my desk. It's like you got this big pile of stuff that's just floating there. It's kind of cool, though. It looks miraculous. It's comforting. And they want me to head up. They sent me a file of... In, uh, how to get our giving accounts and records for the coalition and the AI and all that other stuff and all the churches and their phone numbers and all the rest of it. And I'm afraid to open it because I don't know what to do with it once I open it. They said, well, you can just log all the email addresses into your email address book. And I'm saying, email address book? That would be where? Where? I didn't know I had one. All right. But you can put them all in there. And I'm like, Stephanie's going to kill me because I'm going to say, Stephanie, I need this in my email address book. And then you got to tell me where my email address book is. Okay, Stephanie, Stephanie just learned this just about two seconds ago. Paul says that when I am weak, I am strong. Bob looked at me and says, do you not understand that the Apostle Paul said when I am weak, then he is strong. He says, this is going to be great to watch. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. When I read this text, I look at it from this perspective. The more I get out of the way, the greater my usefulness. Did you hear what I said? The more I get out of the way, the greater my usefulness. See, that's humility there, bud. That says I'm a clay pot. You know what that means? I'm an old earthen jar. I'm the jar that was used in the house before indoor plumbing to haul the waste out of the house. You 
chuck it over the back of the hill, okay, and you weren't worried about going and getting it or cleaning it, you just, it's full. That would be before dishwashers and a few other commodities. When you and I get to that position, now you are useful. Well, that sounds awful. You want to try it another way? When I come to the end of my human resources, anything to that is done in my strength, which compared to God's is what? See, when you come to the end of your rope, that is when the power of God will flow through your life. Oh, by the way, did I tell you it was unrestrained power? I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. We are not adequate in ourselves, Paul says. People are not in the ministry because they have the gift of gab. People are not in the ministry because they are talented communicators. People are not in the ministry because they have a flair for the dramatic. People are not in the ministry because I have a degree in visual aids. People are in the ministry because they know they have absolutely nothing to offer. Because those who have talents and abilities, they tend to corrupt rather than help in the ministry. Paul says, I don't want to be misunderstood here. See, listen, the apostle Paul was an educated guy. He grew up in Tarsus. There's a university in Tarsus. He was studying on Gamali, one of the greatest Pharisees the world has ever produced. He had a great mind. And yet, you know what is amazing? The, one of the greatest things that amazes me about the Apostle Paul, with his abilities, his mind, and his reasoning, and his ability to reason, he never depended on it. Never did he cling to it. Never did he use it. Never did he say, this I will overcome. He didn't depend on it. He he was trained. And he did use it. To augment what he was doing. I mean, you go through and look at the Bible verses that he hammers out through the book of Romans and other places. It is obvious the guy knew his way around in the Old Testament. And he knew how it was fulfilled, but he knew that because Christ had invaded his life. And he realized, oh my, I've been wrong with all of my education, all of my abilities, all of my trainings was wrong. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse Corinthians, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. and God will overthrow the strong and destroy the cleverness will be set aside. See, Paul understood that. 
Paul understood that if he's left to himself, it would be purely human reason. Purely human reason. Remember what Paul said? I preach the word of the cross and it is what? Foolishness. And that's what we hear. I seen a debate when I was up in, by Chicago where, uh, where the guy was saying that, you know, people of faith are just foolish. They don't want to use their brains. Okay. And, you know, the global flood. How silly is that? That is so silly. I can't believe. And then the guy was supposedly the pro for it. He says, well, I don't believe the stuff in the Old Testament. I just believe the New Testament. And I was like, well, we've got all kinds of idiots all with microphones in their faces. Thanks for standing up for Scripture. That's crazy stuff. It is foolishness. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, I was determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. Grab a hold of that, brothers and sisters. Because you ask yourself right now, what is it you are determined to know? I want to know the future. I want to know about my next job. I want to know what's coming down the pike. I want to know this. I want to know that. Paul says, nope, I just want to know Christ and him crucified. Period. See, Paul understood that he had no wisdom to bring, even though he was an educated guy, a scholarly guy. Paul understood that he came at it with weakness, fear and trembling. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had weakness, fear, and trembling when it came to the things of God? See, the power of spirit. Let me ask you a question. Where does your faith rest? See this? The humility brings me back to the confidence of my calling. Do we understand that? I can't serve until God has humiliated me. And then once I'm standing there, you can sit there and go... I'm in. Why? I got nothing to lose. Too many in this room right now have things they're afraid they're going to lose. Which tells me you have no confidence in your calling nor your giftedness. But I rest in this assurance. God will take you to that place. And you know what? And he doesn't need me to help. I have seen people do this. Well, we need to confront this. You're telling me the Holy Spirit ain't. I'm telling you, we're going to have to fire him. Can't believe it. He was only here to convict the world of sin. And it's obvious he ain't getting it done. Really? It's like when I meet with those pastors and I hear them spout something that is human wisdom. Boy, did he do that good or what? (laughs) Human wisdom. And my response to them is always the same. And where is that in the Bible? Confronting the Russian pastor that none seek after God. No, not one. I have always sought after God. Then mark that out of your Bible. It's obvious it doesn't apply to you. And you know what I was saying. Paul understood that if he's left to himself, he was absolutely useless. I remember taking, I audited some classes up at Denver Sin. Um, uh, They do a a series on uh, the prophets through history. 
And it's, it's a really good class. And as a pastor, they allow so many in that you can take the class for free. You don't get no credit for it, but you can sit and listen to it. And I was watching all this. This room was huge, huge room, probably 150, 200 kids in this seminary. They, they want to go into the ministry. And you listen to them. And they're wanting to know what will be on the midterm quizzes, what will be on the midterm test, what will be on the final test, what will they need to know, what bits of information will they need to take on the weekly test, and because I want to pass this class. And I'm sitting here going, you are having the Old Testament prophets expounded to you, and you're worried about a stupid test. That's the way I was when I went to college for 45 minutes. One class. I thought it was overrated. Okay. Why? You guys think I'm lying. (laughs) Some of you said, no, he's not lying. Haven't you listened to him? But do you understand that? I'm sitting here going, the prophets are being open to you. And your big concern is what's going to be on the final exam? Hell. That's amazing to me. They're basing their ministry on their wisdom and cleverness. See, Paul says, I don't trust myself. When I'm weak, when I'm persecuted, when I'm insulted, when I'm discouraged, when I'm distrusted, you know what? When I am at the end of my rope, when I have nothing left, then... I'm the most powerful. Because I'm out of the way. I'm out of the way. This text back in 2 Corinthians, he lays this out, 3.5. He uses what is called an editorial plural, which I think is just wonderful, don't you? Verse 5, not that we are adequate. We, it's used editorial plurals to show humility. Okay, but I want you to move over there to that other words. We are not adequate in ourselves to consider. The word consider there is logizomai. You've heard it before. It's the word we get logic from. Logizomai. It means to reason. I cannot consider this. I cannot reason this. I am not even able to reason in my own mind and determine anything. Now, you know who just said that? Paul, I am not adequate to reason anything. How do I access truth? How do I judge it? How do I judge truth to reality? If I am left to myself, guess what? I'm useless and powerless. Take the word of God from me. Take the spirit away. And Paul says, I've got nothing to say. See, the truth, I'm going to share this. I'm going to try to do it as loving as I can. But you know how well I am at that. Do you understand that truth is not in you? No matter how intelligent, no matter what you do in society, no matter how skilled you are, apart from divine revelations and the working of the Spirit in your or my life, I know nothing and I have nothing to say. 
You don't believe me? Take the book of Job. First three chapters are good. Last two chapters are good. The middle of it is people talking. And they've got nothing to say. But they are consistent. Listen, the spiritual dimension is not based on how clever you are. It is definitely not based on how intelligent you are. You're going to put your intelligence up against God. See, the Corinthians were there because God had placed Paul there. Did you know that? Do you know that you're here and I was placed here to torment you, afflict you, (laughs) and a few other odds and ends? God has humbled me, Paul, before his truth and the power of his spirit. You will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. And it will bring you to what God wants you to hear. You ever thought about that? I watch people come out of churches all jazzed up saying, Man, the music made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. What the heck was that? That means the convicting work of the Spirit isn't being done there. That's what that means. You know what that means? Holy Spirit isn't there. There isn't, Paul says, there isn't anything in my life that I can reason with properly. I don't have the ability. That's what that word there in ourselves to consider anything. I can't reason anything. Take away the scriptures, take away the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I'm an idiot. And you know what? I have seen people. They have no answers. Paul says, I have no answers outside of divine revelation and the working of the power of the Holy Spirit, period. Paul says, I can't even reason anything out of myself. I cannot reason about anything. And you know what he's saying here? How humble do you have to be? He says, I have absolutely nothing to say and I have no ability to say anything. I have no ability to even figure anything out. You ever thought about that? Now, I'm going to, and everybody sits there and goes, well, yeah, I'm humble too. Really? Then why are you afraid to share the gospel? Because you know what? If I don't have the ability to reason, and I don't have the intellect to manipulate it or the cleverness there, then all I am is an empty vessel. Then all I need is divine truth through the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means I open my mouth because now I'm confident. Well, I just don't understand. You know what? You never will. This side of glory, you're not. It's impossible. And those who say they do, flee. (laughs) Run away from them people. You know, I have people <laughs> that come to me. You get asked a lot of a lot of things in, in 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 the ministry. And here's one that is the new one. It used to be, "What is your philosophy for ministry?" And I was, "What? <laughs> yeah, what is your philosophy of ministry?" There's more than one. I'm in trouble. Okay, I hear people who will ask this question, especially of the pastor. What are your long-range plans? Okay, now there are certain people in my life who have a little more on the administrative side, shall we say, and you see them planning. Um, 
we have uh, these calendars in the in the in, in Stephanie's office that you can kind of make plans on. Okay, and <laughs> I drive Stephanie's nuts because if something's happening on the 25th, I just put a square around the 25th. I don't put what is happening. It's just something's happening there. And then about six months later, she says, well, what's that for? I don't don't know. (laughs) But I'll be here when it happens. (laughs) Okay. When, When people ask me, Terry, what are your long-range plans? This, uh, some of you guys have done some work with uh, Ronnie Johnson, the financial planner, and he's always asking me this, and I drive him nuts. Okay? Uh, it's just a gift. He says, what are your long-range plans? And I look him straight in the eye, and I have the same response. I don't have any. What? I don't have any. Okay, Terry then what would be your short-range plans? I don't have any of them either. Then how do you plan your life? Anybody want to guess the answer? I don't have any plans for my life. I had people taking bets that I wouldn't make 25. Okay, no one in my dad's side of the family, male, made it past 45. I'm 54. It's all dessert from here. Dude, I've set a new world record. Well, what are your plans? You didn't get the first answer, did you? I don't have any plans. I don't have a life plan. Why? I am not my own. I have been bought and paid for with a price. Someone else has a plan for my life. Someone else. And you know what I've learned about him? For me, and you guys who like to plan, he never seems to reveal very far in advance for me. I don't have a long-range plan. I don't have a short-range plan. The best I can do, my long-range plan, best I can do. You ready? Tomorrow, I need to prepare a sermon for next Sunday. Long-range plan. Friday, it's now a short-range plan. Okay, and all you guys who like to plan out, knock yourselves out. Because you're the ones that I have to deal with who are just frustrated and not content. The best I do, Monday I know I got to have one on Sunday. That's it. Listen, I don't know what his plan for my life is. I really don't. Only the day in which I live... Do I prepare for the next one? Listen, I prepare because tomorrow I'll get another privilege in ministry, perhaps. Listen, I don't trust my own judgment. You know what? Every time that I thought I had somebody figured out, you know, this would be a good leader or this person would be a good leader, it has just exploded. So you know what I figured out? I ain't doing nothing. Why? I'll let him do what he wants to do. 
I'm along for the ride. Paul says, I can't consider anything as coming from myself. Anything coming from myself is, is it worthy of anything? Is it really worthy of anything if it comes from you? Paul just wants to recognize God's plan when he lays it out. Okay. Now then, I want you to understand something about the Apostle Paul and myself. I mean, people will laugh and they'll say, well, Terry's long running plan starts on Monday and might not even get through the week. Right? And everybody looks at it and says, well, you know, that's kind of crazy. Really? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I love every one of you, but you are all going to have to learn it. Because you have all been bought and paid for with a price. You are not your own. The Apostle Paul had to learn it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I'll prove it to you. Paul had to learn it. Paul knew that God was planning the church. He was going to grow the church. And the abode of the dead wasn't going to stop it. He understood that. He understood it completely. Chapter 16. They passed through Phrygia and Galatia region. Okay. See, Paul had a plan. I'm going to take the gospel to Asia. Okay. Now, Asia is Turkey, and then it would move out to the east. And that's where he decided he was going to take it. And look what it says there. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. See, he wanted to go to Asia. He had a long-range plan. How'd that work? Holy Spirit said, don't. Hmm. Hmm. What do you mean I can't preach the word? Well, let's read on. After they came to Messiah, they were trying to go to Bithynia. And guess what happened? The Spirit of Jesus. What? Did not permit it. There's another one of them long-range plans that just got chucked in a can. Now, I'm telling you, you're going to learn this. If you like making these big old long-range plans, you had better be ready for disappointment. Because God says you are not your own. If you're going to minister, you will be humbled You will. I guarantee it. Paul had plans to preach the word. The Lord said no. He had another plan to preach the word. And the Lord said no. So Paul says, you know what? I don't make my plans. I just live my life a day at a time. As God unfolds his purpose... I have confidence that the Lord knows my life and he has called me and he has gifted me. He has set me on a course. He knows what the course is. And in his own due time, he'll reveal it. Paul says, I am adequate for nothing. Do you understand that? There's a confidence. God's called me. God's gifted me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree emphatically. End of verse 5. Our adequacy is from God. 
Why? God's into the long-range planning thing. In the Old Testament, we sang it. There's a name for God. El Shaddai. We like it. Michael Card wrote the song and we get into El Shaddai, El Shaddai and all that. And we just, ah, oh, this is just so spiritual. Six times in the Septuagint. Okay, Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You will see El Shaddai translated Hapikonos, Hapikonos. Okay, Hapikonos in those six times means the sufficient one, the competent one. That's El Shaddai. Hapikanas. But see, it doesn't sing as well. Okay. Hapikanas, Hapikanas. Oh, nah. Stick with El Shaddai. Paul is saying his adequacy is from Hapikanas. Paul says, I am not adequate. I am not competent. I am not able. But El Shaddai is. I will do what he tells me to do. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Who has also made us adequate as servants. Okay, now some of your translations will say as ministers. Okay, well, which is it? Ministers or servants? Yes. Minister is nothing but a servant. He has made us adequate. He made me what I am. In Acts chapter 9, a familiar... A rock and roll text. I love Acts 9. This is his uh, conversion. Um, and the Apostle Paul had letters to commend him. Okay? Remember? And on the way up, God just burst into his life. And he is so bright in his glory that he blinds the Apostle Paul. Okay, the Apostle Paul is led blind into the city of Damascus. Okay? All right? Remember? Everybody remember the story? It's chapter 9, you go read it. All right? He leads him into Damascus, and then the Spirit of the Lord goes over and talks to a guy named Ananias. And he says, Ananias, Saul of Tarsus is blind, and I want you to go to him. And Ananias' response is the same that you and I would have. I know this man. He kills Christians, <laughs> right? Which means, why would I want to go see him? You know, how am I going to evangelize if I'm dead? Right? What does God say to Ananias? He is my instrument. Go to him. Go to him. My instrument. He is my chosen minister. If you look in Acts chapter 26, you'll see Paul's testimony of this very event. Uh, verse 16 says, um, oops, 27, 26. Verse 16 says, uh, Paul speaking of his conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But then he says this. Get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you. What? To appoint you as a. Minister. As a witness. Not only to the things which you have seen. But also to the things which I will appear to you. 
See, Paul is defending his ministry as he is adequate only because God has put him there and God told him to arise and God told him to stand up and God said, I have appointed you as a minister and I have been appointed you as my witness. See, an adequate minister is not eager to impress you with their credentials. You want to see an application for a minister? I have a hunger for godliness. God in his mercy and grace has used me for the salvation and the sanctification of many. I am unwaveringly confident in my calling and gifting and willing to stand on the edge of death on behalf of Christ. I am humbled that he would ever give me the privilege of ministry and whatever has happened in my life has happened through his power. That reveals an adequate minister. Personal holiness, the miracle of God used in salvation and sanctification of others. Able, because of his calling and gifting, to be bold and confident in what the task is set before us. And a humble recognition that everything that has ever happened that has eternal consequences is by the power of God. That's an adequate minister. One more. The adequate minister has a new covenant message next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to us even when we are faithless. Father, as we look at this text, as we long to understand more, as we long to die to self, to decrease that you may increase. Father, may our hearts May our eyes and our ears be open to your spirit, to your power, to your majesty, to your glory. Father, may we be effective for your gospel word. And that, Father, we walk in a manner worthy. That we walk in a manner of humility. We walk in a manner that people would say they are truly men and women of God. Their actions, their attitude, their thought processes are all seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness as you add all things unto us. Thank you, Lord. The privilege of your book in Christ's name. Amen.